Hello, thank you for joining me for a special spotlight episode of the Rural College Student Experience. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Newland. For those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I'm typically joined by a co-host who is a currently enrolled rural student. The co-host and I discuss the major topics facing rural students in college, and then we are joined by a guest who is an advocate or professional in the field working to increase rural equity. On today's episode, we have both in the form of my very special guest, Madison Mellinger. Madison is a senior at Princeton University and is from Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. She's studying in the School of Public and International Affairs with a focus on education and environmental policy, particularly as such policy relates to rural communities. In 2001, she founded Princeton's first rural student affinity group. In this episode, we're focusing on Small Town to Campus, a student-led conference for rural students which Madison spearheaded. The conference took place virtually in February 2023. I spoke with Madison soon after the conference about how the event became a reality and her future plans. As always, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on Twitter at RCSEPOD. Thank you and enjoy this Spotlight episode. Madison, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Of course. Happy to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm thrilled to talk about this conference that that you spearheaded and led and 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 put on. So this is going to be great. But before we get into the conference, please tell me about yourself and the community where you grew up. For sure. So I grew up in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Um, I always tell people that it's nestled right between Amish country and the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. So it's a really beautiful, wonderful place to grow up. Um, I was raised by a single mom who was also raised by a single mom. So there's definitely a strong um, matrilineal sort of influence in my family. Um, and my mom is really a person who inspired me to go to college. Um, she went to college online while I was in middle school. Um, and I was actually like able to attend her graduation when I was in middle school. And it always just really inspired me um, to strive for great things. Um, however, you know, growing up in the community that I did, I didn't really hear about schools like Princeton. Um, and I'm really thankful to have had a couple great mentors that introduced me to programs like QuestBridge and um, other local scholarships and exposed me to um, spaces like Princeton and like other top tier schools. Um, and so now I'm a senior at Princeton studying public policy. Such an amazing story. And to end up at Princeton, I mean, congratulations. That's that's just so impressive and wonderful, but even more so that you're representing the rural identity at Princeton, which is so important. And, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more later. Um, but I want to talk about you. You talked about how fortunately you you had some mentors and people who could you know turn you on to QuestBridge and other things from talking with other rural students and, and from my own experience in, in this field. That's so often the deciding factor is you happen to have someone who can guide you through and mentor you. But for so many rural students, th those just don't exist and they're not in the spaces. And that's what creates this problem of why rural students aren't enrolling. So I'd love to hear your thoughts around that lack of access to mentors, to trailblazers, to those people you can you can look up to and who can guide you. Where are rural students finding information on college? How are they navigating the process? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is thinking about COVID and a lot of schools going test optional. Um, 
I think that a lot of my peers at Princeton were really excited to hear that schools were going test optional and they thought of it as a very equitable thing. Um, but from my perspective, I thought about being a rural student and the fact that taking the PSAT was the only way that I got information about some of these colleges um, because the college board had my address and information like that. And when you live in a community like Chambersburg, where there aren't a lot of like community-based organizations that, you know, aim to help students get ready for college, those um, little mailers that seem somewhat insignificant are actually really important. Um, and so while I definitely agree there is an equitable side to going test optional, I think that, you know, we also have to find a way to make sure that rural students are getting this information about colleges. Um, whenever I was in high school, my school hadn't really had anyone that had applied to QuestBridge before and didn't know too much about it. Um, but for me, I think it was more so about having a mentor that was really excited about it and motivated me, even if she didn't know a lot about it yet. Um, so it was my high school English teacher, Stephanie Parrott, and we were able to attend like a QuestBridge conference at Yale together and learn more about the program together. Um, and now we have like 10 to 20 students every year that apply through QuestBridge at my high school. So um, yeah, I definitely think there is a lack of like resources, like concrete resources in rural communities. But I think that there's a lot of passion and a lot of community care. And so um, I think when you introduce something like QuestBridge to Chambersburg through a little flyer, you know, it increases tenfold um, in a way that I think is really special in rural communities. I think that's an excellent point of what just small outreach efforts can do small whether they're mailers or not and and it's so interesting i'm so glad you brought up that point about taking the psat otherwise the colleges wouldn't know madison existed yeah. which in and of itself is a problem as you talked about um but also the community-based organizations and and the people who are doing the bulk of the college access work because to your point it's not that counselors and teachers don't want to help in these rural and small town communities. They don't have the time, the bandwidth, or the knowledge because they, and I always explain to people, so many rural counselors, they know about the state schools, the local schools, the community colleges, because that's all they really have the bandwidth to know about. They can't know about Princeton and University of Chicago. So that's one problem. But you also talked about the community-based organizations. And I think about where I live. I live in St. Louis, and we have overlapping college access organizations serving just about every high school that needs to be served. Um, and so you've got double, triple dipping for these students. But you go across the river into southern Illinois or out into rural Missouri, and there's no one. There, there, There is... Uh, not even one person, one organization serving, let alone multiples. And so I think you're right that that's another challenge of it. So I appreciate you bringing all of that up. Um, so you were able to get all of that information. You were able to get on your journey to college. What was that transition like showing up at Princeton, being a rural student? D did your rural identity affect your transition or has it affected your experience? Totally. I don't know. I talk with my mom about this sometimes and we just laugh because I was so excited to leave. Like I was totally ready to get out of Chambersburg, experience something new. Um, and when I got to Princeton, even though it's only three hours away, there was definitely a big culture shock for me. Um, a lot of people consider Princeton to be a pretty small, quiet town. Um, but I remember 
my first year, I would like had trouble sleeping at night. I was like, it's so loud here. And all of my peers were like, oh my goodness, like this is the quietest place I've ever been. So um, yeah, there was definitely that sort of adjustment. And then I think there was also a really big adjustment in terms of just hearing the ways that other people talked about my home community and communities like mine. Um, I think this is most likely true at other schools too, but at Princeton especially, there is definitely a lot of misunderstanding around rural issues um, and a lot of stereotyping that goes on. So a lot of the comments I would hear when I first got to Princeton was like, oh, you're so lucky to like have gotten out of that place or to not have to be with those people anymore. And, you know, that really hurts when you first get to school and they're talking about your community and your family that way, Um, especially because I know that the media often portrays rural areas with a lot of stereotypes. And I know a lot of people that don't fit those molds whatsoever at home. So I think I had to, from, I don't know, from the beginning, I really had to get used to sort of like defending home while also acknowledging um, some of its downfalls. And it was a really tricky, like nuance to navigate as a 18 year old, um, trying to understand these things for myself. Um, So I think developing a rural student group at Princeton really helped with a lot of that. I had a strong community of people that I could talk through these things with and um, not feel so alone in the way that I advocated for home. Yeah, well, um, I'm so impressed and, and proud of you for developing the the thick skin that you have. And, and But it's unfortunate you had to do that. I think you're right that especially in very elite spaces and higher education is full of them, uh, we do have a lot of these biases, these uh, stereotypes, these preconceived notions about rural spaces because for a lot of people on college campuses, especially faculty and administrators, the only rural or, or small town experience they have is seeing it on TV and in movies. And that never represents rural well, right? Uh, you know, the, it's it's always in a deficit. It's always the middle of nowhere. They're only, you know, poor, dumb people stay there. And so for, for you to hear that response in that very rarefied elite space, it makes sense. And so, but I, I love that you're there and you were being vocal and, and trying to to stand up for your hometown because, you know, it's a part of who you are. I think that's wonderful. Um, tell me about the rural student group. Is, is there uh, a big rural population on campus where you were able to recruit a good, good number of students? Yeah, um, I think that It's a little bit complicated. Um, This is something we talked about at the small town to campus conference, but it's really tough to identify who is a rural student and who wants to identify as a rural student. So it gets a little tricky. Um, But in my experience developing the rural student group, um, the way that I started it was through our Center for First Generation and Low-Income Students. Um, They do a lot of robust affinity programming, and so I felt like that was the avenue that was easiest for me to start a group. Um, And doing outreach through their networks, I was able to meet with probably 20 to 30 other rural students, which is a pretty good number for Princeton. Princeton's not a very big school. Um, And a lot of the experiences were very varied. Like some students would email me and ask, do do I count as a rural student? And I would kind of have this conversation with them, you know, 
um, obviously you're drawn to this identity for some reason. So let's talk through it and see if this is a space that you want to hang out in. Cause we're totally cool with that. Um, and I would have some students like from overseas or foreign countries that were like, is this only for rural students in the United States? And so it got a little complicated at times. Um, and right now we're also thinking about the fact that the group is really limited because um, we're only reaching out within that first gen low income student group. Um, and that does cover a lot of rural students, a lot of rural students are low income when they come to college just by nature of like the communities that they're coming from, but it doesn't cover everyone for sure. Um, and so we're trying to think about ways to expand outreach. Um, I've been talking with the admissions office and so hopefully we can get some sort of connection there, um, to do some more expansive work in terms of identifying rural students and supporting them. That's wonderful. I'm I'm almost afraid to ask this next question, but have you been able to identify any rural uh, faculty members from rural backgrounds and communities, or or senior leaders from rural communities who have um, who are willing to kind of volunteer their identity or or be you know an, an advisor or part of this in any way? Yeah. So in my experience, I haven't been able to identify someone that is super excited yet and ready to advise a group yet. Um, but I think it's so interesting. A lot of faculty members that I've spoken with, and maybe this is just like a product of their generation in some way, but even if they are rural, they don't necessarily speak about it in the way that rural students do. Um, and I don't know if maybe it just wasn't talked about during their time in college or um, something like that. But a lot of faculty members I'll end up working closely with. And then I realize they have this like immense rural perspective. Either they grew up in a rural community or work with rural students. And so, um, yeah, I think it's, I'm still trying to figure out how to like navigate that conversation to where like, um, we're sort of speaking the same language about like rural college access. Um, but when we get to that point, it's really exciting to hear faculty experiences. I'm hoping we can loop some of them in. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping you can too. And I wish you the best of it because I think that would make such a huge impact on the students, the, the current and future Princeton students. So so good luck with that. That's great. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's talk about the main attraction, the main event of why we're here today. Um, please tell us about the Small Town to Campus Conference. What inspired you to launch this? Totally. So... I started Princeton's first rural student group through the affinity programming um, at the Emma Bloomberg Center, which is the first gen low income student center. Um, and when I started that group, I really didn't know anything about the rural college access landscape other than my own experiences um, with rural college access. And so I really had no idea what I was getting into. I just kind of wanted a space to make friends. Um, and as I started that group, I started to do some research as well into what other institutions were doing. And um, I saw like Yale's rural student group and UGA's rural student group and some of the fly-in programs at like U Chicago and Brown for rural students. And I was like, whoa, like this programming is so much more robust and so exciting. And I'd really love for Princeton to have something like this. Um, 
And I started networking with some folks at these different schools and learning from them. But um, I like through conversations, I realized we all just really needed to be in the same room together talking about these things. Um, And I also met a lot of other rural students along the way who were in similar spaces as me, who had just created a group at their institution. But Um, We're just beginning to learn about, you know, this whole rural college access community. And so um, the pathways sort of coincided. I had all of this like working out um, with the rural student group. And then also I do a lot of work through Princeton's Pace Center for Civic Engagement. And they were running um, a grant program. It's the Nancy Weiss Malkiel Fellowship for first gen students. And it's a grant to pursue some sort of project around college access. Um, And people had kind of been telling me about this grant. I thought it was interesting, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do for it. But I also had this rural student stuff brewing. And so I thought it would be awesome to um, apply for the grant to create some sort of event or conference um, for all of these rural student groups to get together. Um, I applied for the grant. I received it. It was super exciting. And then from there, I just started brainstorming, connecting this network of people um, that I had gotten to know through building Princeton's rural student group. And then um, from there, it really just took off and we started creating small town to campus. Such an impressive feat event, a thing that you've done. I'm just so impressed. And I remember you and I connected. I think you and I connected middle of last year originally to talk about the podcast. And then we started talking about the the campus or the small town to campus event. And I just was so blown away. And I was like, okay, I have to have Madison on the podcast. But then you were getting deep into that. I'm like, I want to wait and see what this turns into because I could tell it was going to be this this massive undertaking. And so, so impressed just to see how it's developed over the last year. And, And just congratulations to you. I think this is something hopefully other students will be inspired by and see that oh, I can do these major things while I'm in school, while I'm still, you know, trying to graduate as a senior, I can still put on these massive programs or events. So I just think it's so incredible what you've done. So this was the first conference. It just happened a few weeks ago. What were some of the the topics or sessions that came up? What were you hearing from students? Yeah, so we had five sessions. Um, The first was an opening keynote with Corinne Smith from Yale University. Um, She talked a lot about identifying and um, speaking with rural students on the admission side. And she talked a lot about um, like retention and um, rural student engagement once students are on campus as well. So that was really, really exciting. Um, After that, we had a networking session, sort of like a speed friending kind of environment um, where we got to know some of the people in attendance. Um, The conference was all virtual. And so it was really nice to have, you know, a space on Friday night to get to know people more informally. Um, And then on Saturday, morning and afternoon, we had two workshops. Um, One was about the rural identity and imposter syndrome. And um, the second was about building a rural student group. And we had some representatives, um, including myself, who had worked to build rural student organizations on their campuses, um, talking about that experience. And then we wrapped up the conference with an alumni panel um, that covered Um, like navigating home and careers and thinking about 
life after college as a rural student. That's a great spectrum of, of topics and conversation to have. That's so wonderful. And I was fortunate enough, I was able to watch the opening keynote with Corinne. Uh, spoiler alert, she's going to be on an upcoming episode of this podcast, which I'm really thrilled about. Uh, and I was able to also watch the, the career and alumni piece as well, which I thought was so interesting because the alumni... Uh, who were present, they had gone into different fields and different areas, um, some still being in education. And so I thought it was interesting to hear their experiences kind of looking back now. Um, so tell me about the how many people attended and and what what were you hearing from students during the conference and, and now that the conference has ended? Totally. So we had about 80 to 100 people attending, which was really exciting. Um we had no idea leading up to the conference if we'd have 10 people or 100. So it was really exciting to see that the numbers were on the higher end. Um, during the conference, we got a lot of really awesome feedback. Um, it was really exciting because people from all different paths joined um, the different Zoom sessions. So we had students like myself who wanted to learn more about building out their rural student group, but we also had admissions officers. We had people who work with um, community-based organizations, which we were just talking about. Um, and that was just really exciting to see some people that joined, you know, didn't really identify with being a rural student or just a, from a rural community, um, but they really wanted to learn more about the experience and learn how to serve rural students, which was so exciting. Um, we've been getting lots of great feedback on the conference and people seem really excited to um, hopefully host another one next year. I think, you know, if anything, it's just a really great space for all of us to touch base, to hear what the other rural student groups have been up to and think about how we want to move forward with our own groups. That's so wonderful to hear. So so what now? What mm -hmm. uh, is our movement afterwards? How can students, well, for students who weren't uh, aware of the conference, how can they get in contact with you? But how can they also stay in, in connection with this network that's evolving, especially if they want to start something like this on their own campus? Yeah, totally. So right now we're thinking about how we're going to pass the conference on. Um, we have a lot of people who are sophomores and juniors right now that are really excited about tackling this next year. So I'm really hoping that they'll stay in touch and I can pass on all my materials to them and really let them take it from here. Um, but if anyone wants to get involved next year, you can totally reach out to me. Um, we're also working on setting up a small town to campus email address so that everything just goes right to that Google account and lives there forever. Um, but yeah, I don't know what's best. We can totally link those things in the description for the podcast. Absolutely. I'll make sure we have the social media, that email address if it's available. So any students and also administrators, faculty, senior leaders who are listening, I also encourage you to follow because this is a great way, like this podcast, this is a great way to get information directly from students. Um, and that's what we need to do more of. So I, I appreciate it. We'll make sure we have that in the description. So we're, we're coming up at the end of time, but I would love to hear from you. Last question is, what what does higher education need to know about the rural student experience? If, if you had every leader, every faculty member, every chancellor and president, what's something they need to know about the rural student experience? There are two things that come to mind. Um, I think the first one is that the rural student experience is extremely rich and diverse. Um, like I was talking about earlier, I think a lot of people have um, 
they carry a lot of stereotypes about rural communities. And um, I think it's really important to view your students not as like the model exception rural person, but as part of their rural community. Um, and to really think about, you know, the complexities of their identity. Um, the second thing that comes to mind is actually something that someone brought up during the conference. Um, a student had mentioned that at their school, um, rural students make up only about three to four percent of the student population, um, which is true at a lot of top tier universities. Um, and I just think it's really important for, you know, higher education leaders to realize just how small the rural student population is. And while we're working to change that, um, I think it's really important that um, they understand that right now that perspective is not going to be present in every classroom. And so it's really important to um, consider that. Um, I know I'm having some issues with this currently in some of my classes, professors and the way they talk about rural communities is it's really frustrating. And um, in some ways, I want to be the student that can stand up and say, you know, oh, here's a different perspective on rural communities. But at the same time, like I said, the rural experience is so rich and diverse that, you know, I can't speak for everyone. Um, and so I think as much as possible, you know, while we work on getting more rural people and rural students in these spaces, um, also thinking about how you can pull in, you know, rural speakers or rural scholars work um, in the higher education space is really important. I agree with everything. And I hope anyone who's listening is, is heeding that advice because I think it is so important to understand the experience, talk to your students and know what is being communicated back to your rural students from, from faculty, from administrators. So I, I think that's all excellent advice. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Madison, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thank you for the work you're doing with the conference. Again, congratulations on a successful first year. I hope it continues on into the future because it's just such a great opportunity for students. Yes, thank you so much. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at R-C-S-E-P-O-D. You can also follow me at Dr. Matt Newlin. Uh, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Rural College Student Experience wherever you get your podcast. That way you know when a new episode is available. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.